0: Okay, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tuppets-Bye, joined by Dr. Justin Quinn and almost birthday boy, Alex Goldberg. It's Monday evening, which means we've had time to marinate on a a crappy game, too, let's be honest. Uh, But to do that a little bit more, and more importantly, to talk about game three, we bring in friend of the podcast, Kai Carlin of Sixers Wire. Kai, how are you?
1: What's going on, man? Thank you for having me on.
0: All right, so you you don't have biased eyes like we do. Um, What's your... 30-second takeaway from game two?
1: Uh, That the Warriors are pretty good at basketball. Cool.
0: (laughs) Yield the remainder of your time?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I kind of looked at it, and it was like – it kind of almost looked like a mirror of game one, except for Boston's fourth-quarter comeback they had in game one. But it kind of looked like a mirror of game one, uh, just with the fact that Boston, again, turned the ball over a lot. They turned the ball over a lot in game one. They were just able to overcome it because Al Horford had an out-of-body experience and knocked down six threes. Um and then Marcus martin I think hit five threes in game one or four or somewhere around there and then obviously he had a big game out of Derek White so you're able to make up for it um so I, I thought game two kind of like was really predictable because nope we all knew Al Horford was going to make six threes again uh, I think we all knew Jason Tatum was going to play better than he played in game one I think we all knew the Warriors were going to make their adjustments and now we move on to Boston for game three and. We'll just kind of see which team makes the adjustment, you know, going from the airplane from one coast to the other. So we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Sure. And
0: I'm going to just repeat myself something I said 30 seconds ago before we started recording. Only twice has a road team gone up 2-0 in the NBA Finals. So uh, it's an ugly game, too, that we'll talk about. But the history was against the Celtics on that one. But Before we get into basketball, that music that you heard off the
2: top, that's from Divine Sweater. Uh, Alex, how was the gig? Gig was really fun. Uh, Had a packed room at O'Brien's Pub in Alston. It's always fun to play with the Crystal Casino Band, who we love so much. Always a good time. Uh, More Divine Sweater stuff coming soon, as always. Cool.
0: Tremendous. So let's get into that game, too. And um, yeah, you alluded to it, Kai. The turnovers were fast and loose for the Celtics. They had 11 in the first half, which led to 18 Warriors' points. Um, so, those who watch the game will remember the game was basically tied. The Celtics were down two at the half, but conceivably they could have had a double digit lead or a, a hefty double digit lead at the half if they held on to the ball. So, before we get into the third quarter, let's just quickly go around the horn. Do you think the Celtics, Kyle, start with you, are the Celtics creating these
1: turnovers out of nothing or is it something the Warriors are doing? I honestly think it's just carelessness with the basketball. Like, I really don't think it's just, I mean, obviously the Warriors are a good defensive team, but a lot of them just kind of seemed unforced. Like when you kind of like were watching that game throughout the whole thing, it wasn't like the Warriors were like really pushing up on Smart or, or Tatum or any of them and they kind of force these guys into these live ball turnovers. And obviously those are the worst kind of turnovers because then the other team's going the other way. So to me, it was like you kind of alluded to it at the end of the first half. Boston went up by five, I think, after Derek White hit like a corner three and late in the first half. And you thought the Celtics were going to take a pretty solid lead going into halftime. Instead, again, they start getting careless with the basketball and the Warriors turn a five point deficit into a two point lead at halftime. And to me, that was kind of like, okay, now the momentum's all on Golden State's side. And you know they're going to come out big in the third quarter because that's what the Warriors do. So for me, the game, obviously, the game, you can't lose a game in the first half, but it kind of felt like the game swung completely in the Warriors' favorite towards the end of the first half there.
0: Alex, pick up that thread. Um, Kai, like I, I am 100% inclined to agree that. The third quarter got started at the end of the second quarter. Um, But Alex, when did you know, and maybe it was the second quarter, when did you know that something bad was happening in the third?
2: Um, I think pretty early on in the third, you could tell that the energy was not great. Um, You know, I actually honestly felt reasonably confident heading into the third. Uh, After the half, I thought that despite the turnovers, the Celtics uh, and Jason Tatum in particular were playing reasonably well. But you could tell pretty early on in the third that things were getting a little dicey. And, you know, I I do want to push back just a little bit on the idea that um, this is mostly the Celtics just coughing up the ball. Because I do think that they were not super prepared for the Warriors level of physicality that they brought uh, to that game. I think Mm -hmm. in particular, one person that, that really stood out to me was... Al Horford, I don't think, was ready for the kind of blitzing aggressive defense that he faced. And they really went out of their way to make sure that he didn't get any clean looks or easy pass attempts. And as we have kind of discussed ad nauseum uh, throughout this postseason run, so much of what the Celtics do depends on Horford being able to create out of that elbow spot or just kind of being there and having shooter gravity. So I think that um, the Warriors really schemed pretty aggressively around taking him out of the game flow early. And I think that the Celtics were not super prepared for that, which I think might've resulted in not all, but definitely a chunk of those turnovers. It was not just Boston throwing the ball away.
0: So that third quarter ended with a 19 to two run. Justin, maybe Alex is correct. Maybe Kai's correct. It's probably... Both, um, I think they're
3: both correct. Who's Absolutely.
0: responsible when a team gives up a nineteen to two run? Who on the Celtics roster or sideline needs to step in? Because a, this is a familiar theme, but b, uh, nothing seemed to be being done about it.
3: I'm not entirely sure there were a lot of things to do about. It. We can discuss some adjustments that could have been made. I think that things were relatively under control until they weren't in like we we, we talked about how the momentum started to swing at the end of the first half it was really a barrage that was just I, I don't know how you can you can like substitute out or ato or when, when when the warriors are rolling they're really really hard to stop and we've kind of danced around the the Celtics some okay so let me back up a little bit here the Celtics had a lot of turnovers and a lot of them were unforced, but they were unforced because of how they were being defended, which doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it does, mm-hmm. because the way the warriors get under your skin is really aggressive defense, really, really quick responses, and really, really punishing uh, retribution for your mistakes. Yep. All of those things come combine, and we saw some cracks start to appear in the foundation at the end of the first half, after a certain incident we will definitely talk more about. Uh, And at that point, the Celtics were in their head, and they weren't in their head because of the same reason, say, they were just being lazy. I, I can't, you know, remotely get in there, but I can guarantee you how the Warriors were playing them, made them feel like the control they thought they had was just evaporating from their fingers. And that's just how the Warriors play. They're going to have to find a way to maintain control of the ball and themselves a lot better if they're going to have a chance in the series.
0: Yeah, and in game one, a lot of that came down to Marcus Smart and specifically Udoka saying to Marcus Smart, like, all right, get control of this. Uh, But Smart looked hurt He didn't look like he was walking correctly and he wasn't a huge factor in this game. He wasn't necessarily a a negative, I don't think, but he just didn't seem to have it. Um, And Kai, you you said as such, Al Horford didn't seem to have it. And he and Smart were huge in kind of leveling the ship for the Celtics in game one. And that just like, wasn't an option. It didn't seem like in game two. Um, Kai, 30 seconds to a minute. You can pick any player on either side of the ball that you want to shout out or berate. I'm not going to tell you what to do, um, but I'm going to go to you first. So whoever you want to talk about, go for it.
1: Well, first I'm going to give a shout out to Al Horford because that man was leading in finals MVP votes after the, after game yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, after covering Al Horford for a season when he was here in Philadelphia and uh, y- y- you know, and talking to him and things like that, he's a good dude. So, you know what, like, like good for Al Horford. Um, to Alex's point, it was kind of weird that the Celtics, like, cause normally like when we were, all kind of talk about this series and we're previewing it everybody's like okay make sure you, you guard jason tatum make sure you guard Jalen brown make sure you contain marcus smart nobody on their scouting report was like yeah we better get out to al horford at three-point line <laughs> like, in game two last night i thought it was in, or uh sunday night i thought it was interesting draymond green really just was really blitzing horford like immediately so um i mean again give the warriors credit like for me i'm, I'm giving a ton of credit to the warriors um I thought Jordan Poole pool was another one. Like they did a really good job against him in game one, really kind of getting in his airspace, not giving him any, uh, any type of clean lugs. And when he, you got a shooter like Poole, who just thrives off of, you know, like big, big shots and like energy plays and things like that. It was really good. That Boston was able to get into him game two. He was able to kind of free himself up. Green set a couple of good screens, or I'm going to say that in quotations screens, uh, to, to get pool open a little bit and, and listen, give Pool credit. He knocked down some tough shots. I mean, hell, that that uh, it kind of seemed like that heave to end the third quarter. That was it. That kind of seemed like that was the dagger. And then uh, obviously Boston wasn't able to recover going into the fourth quarter. But um, yeah, like the, I would just give Poole a shout out. I want to give Al Horford his credit, and I want to give the uh the Warriors as a whole. Just I mean, listen, there's a reason why that team has three championships. Why why that core has you know been there, done that. So um you know, you know, it's going to be on the Celtics, kind of like what Justin said to clean up their mistakes and head on to the next one in game three.
0: All right. uh, Alex, you're up player of your choosing 30 seconds to a minute. Go.
2: I think I'm going to go with Jalen Brown, a guy who I predicted might be finals MVP a couple of podcasts ago. And for a while looked like he had a pretty solid case. Um, So in game one, Jalen Brown was kind of, I, I think maybe should have been mentioned even more as really the hero of that fourth quarter. Obviously, White, Smart, and Horford were all huge uh, with the threes, but Jalen Brown, I think, was the guy who sparked that run that the Celtics ultimately used to take game one. And in game two, at the very beginning, it seemed like more of the same. Jalen Brown got eight quick points, seemed to be a real physical matchup problem for the Warriors, and they were they were really struggling. Um, but then you know, he got the second foul, this call that I just, we'll we'll get into the officiating later, but Zach Zarba, man. Anyway, um, Jalen Brown got a questionable call uh, for his second foul early in the first quarter, and then kind of was quiet for the rest of the game. He really faded from uh, from the rest of the game. And part of it was the Warriors you know, going out of their way to defend him. In particular, Draymond Green spent a lot more time on Jalen than I think he did in game one. And it was pretty clear from how the Warriors were scheming that they were intent on trying to make life a little more difficult for Jalen Brown. That being said, these are the kind of games where Jalen needs to be able to really put his head down and play through the foul trouble. I know that this is a thing where he, he, he the call was bad, like the second foul call was not good, and that forced Ime to sit him for a little bit, which took him out of his rhythm. But if that's the case, I think Jalen has proven in this playoffs that he's capable of getting back to that level He just, he needs to be able to really like put his head down, make sure to focus and make sure that to not worry about the calls as much, because I think that that really shakes him and the Celtics are going to need him to be at his absolute best in this series.
3: All right, Dr. Quinn, your turn. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and do about 15 seconds on two players, one on each team. Uh, Clay. Damn it. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll just do Clay then. Uh, (laughs) I've been talking about how, you know, privately in our chat and elsewhere about how a great adjustment that could have been uh, for, for the Warriors was treating Clay Thompson more like a four. And they had him guarding Al Horford for a lot of this game. And he was really effective in the post. He wasn't so effective elsewhere by things he was doing. But I think that Al was so confused by the matchup that it kind of threw him out of his game. I'm not really sure. That's the best explanation I can have for what was going on when he wasn't being guarded by Draymond because like when he was being guarded by Draymond, that, that made sense. But there were just some some really weird plays that he missed in this game or just, you know, didn't make at all in the first place. So that was definitely something interesting. I do want to say something about Jason Tatum. Do you have any any qualms about that?
0: No, I want to play.
3: Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that Jason Tatum needs to be more assertive. He needs to get downhill. He needs to attack the cup. If he doesn't, they're not going to win this series. That's that simple. It's not the same kind of a series he's been in the last two rounds. There are points there for the taking. There are foul calls to be had. Uh, He doesn't need to try to get them. He just needs to attack the basket. That's all I got.
0: I'm going to, I get to break the rules on the quarterback. Um, First, I'm going to talk about Clay. Um, more than once, did Jalen Brown uh, have to guard Clay Thompson in open space? Clay Thompson, who missed like 490 games of basketball with broken legs. Clay Thompson, who looks old. Clay Thompson, who isn't uh, a breakdown uh, offensive player. And Jalen got cooked both times. Um, Jalen's on-ball defense was not good. The switching as a unit was great for the whole team, but individually, the, the defensive effort was really bizarre. Um, more than once I saw Jason Tatum stick out his ass and actually go for a box out, which is great, that's a good development, but he missed the rebound. So the individual efforts for this stalwart defense that we're always talking about, uh, it's, it's worth more than the sum of its parts, but those little parts matter. And there were some huge plays that the Celtics just came up short. Um, and I think clay absolutely roasting Jalen Brown is a good example of that. Um, Justin, you're correct. The Celtics had 17 free throws to the Warriors 20. It wasn't that lopsided. It actually wasn't that heavily officiated of a game uh, in the grand scheme of things. However, when you do give up a 19 to two run, you got to take it to the rim and that's not what the Celtics were doing. So Jason Tatum played a pretty good first half, a bit of a ghost in that third quarter. And as the big tall guy who gets the chips money, you got to take the ball you got to slow it down and you got to take it to the rim. Um, so really wagging my finger at that effort um all right let's do it let's the long-awaited conversation about (laughs) green so it's monday afternoon or monday evening i'm sure anyone who's listening to this by the time it drops saw the play has takes on the play has heard other people's takes on the play so we'll keep it brief um but kai i'm gonna go to you first as the uh, guest du jour do you Uh, think the play itself was the the big deal do you think the uh, non-double technical was the big deal? Do you think Steve Jabby's comments was the big deal? What do you think is the biggest takeaway from that
1: little uh, dust-up? I think the biggest takeaway was the fact that they didn't get double techs because normally when you see that, that's, that's a double tech rule. You know what I'm saying? Like normally when guys kind of have a little dust-up like that, that's how it ends. We normally see them just get double techs and life moves on. But the thing, the thing is Draymond already picked up that first tech I understand it's the NBA Finals. I'm sure if this was, like, a regular season game in, like, March, that probably would have been a double tech, and Draymond would have been out of there. Um, But, like, if, if like – but because it's the NBA Finals, it it kind of felt like it was um, officiated a different way. But another, another like, egregious thing, though, was him running over Grant Williams in, like, the first quarter. And he – and then Grant is getting called for the defensive foul. I thought that was insane. I started laughing so hard. I was like, how are you going to call that?
3: So. There was. So if you look at where the ref was when that was called, he was on the exact opposite side. And maybe, maybe he wrapped his arm up. That's the only excuse I could possibly think of.
2: Draymond initiated all of the I contact. Know, I know. Like the arm was wrapped, sure. But only after Draymond went into a full form rugby tackle. No, come on. We're not going to let this guy the hook. So Draymond Green, I think, here's the thing about Draymond Green. Draymond Green is super physical basketball player. And he's always going to try and push the absolute limits of whatever the calls are. Draymond Green is also a very smart guy who knows how certain officials work. So when you see the NBA putting Zach Zarba and Tony Brothers on the call for that game, Draymond Green knows that the game is going to be called a certain way. And while Draymond was out there doing crazy stuff, you know, tackling people and throwing his feet over Jalen Brown's head and all that stuff, Draymond ultimately was just kind of doing what I think people should expect him to do given those circumstances. The issue is that the NBA, and we have been saying this on Celtics Lab for some time now, the NBA is not get doing themselves any favors as far as the conversation around legitimacy of officiating goes. Like bringing in Steve Javi to effectively say, yeah, superstar calls are real and you know, refs have their discretion to kind of not call things. Even if that's true, and I think a lot of us would agree, why on earth would you bring Steve Javi in to say that? The only thing that that's going to do is inflame further speculation that the NBA has a genuine officiating problem that they need to address. And they do have an officiating problem that they need to address. I just, you know, I, I think that I... I, I I know that I have kind of developed a reputation on this podcast as the guy who is most likely to complain about the refs for sure, but this is legitimately affecting the product and quality of the game. And they need to do something about this or at least have a frank conversation about what they're going to do about this, because you just you can't have in the NBA finals the most watched event of the year. You just can't have Steve Javi come on and basically say, yeah, no, I'm covering for my boys. The refs call the game a certain way. And that way is not right, but that's their discretion. That's
1: it's ludicrous.
0: Kai, I'm going to go to you. You're the guest. I have, to, I have, I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> it's almost
1: bleeding, but Kai, you go. <laughs> uh, I will say this one. Like I, I kind of agree with Alex to the point where like they should maybe like have a conversation or something, but. I just kind of want to point out the officiating wasn't why the Celtics lost that game. Oh no, yeah, yeah. like like, like I
2: mean, definitely yeah. not. No,
1: yeah, <laughs> okay. Like they like like Boston lost game two because uh, I think Justin and I talked about it this morning in our Slack channel. Like they turned the ball over a thousand times and and just they they kept losing uh, Steph Steph Curry and Jordan Um uh, and they were and they were lucky that Clay Thompson didn't get off either because Clay had a lot of really good looks. Um, but I will agree with Alex too. A certain extent that the officiating needs to kind of uh, it needs it needs to change because I think we've all seen it like in our years of watching the NBA like the superstars all, do get the certain calls that like maybe you know Derek White won't get I'm I'm going to use him as an example yeah, because no, this, totally. Celtics, this is the Celtics lab so um, <laughs> but like I think the point is though like I don't think the officiating has ever really like kind of. I guess I'll say played a hand in like a result of a game. Um, like, I don't think officiating, at least in my opinion, has never like really decided the winner of a game. Like, for me, it's just kind of like, like, sure, like the officiating, like, like will sometimes sway one way or another, but like a lot of teams have proven that they can overcome that and still be able to come out as winners. That's just, I, I don't, like, I've never really kind of bought into all the, of the officiating is the reason why it's X team lost to X game. That's That's just how I see it.
0: Um, Justin, do you, you want to go next? Do you want the last word?
3: Well, there's some really bad music going on, but let me just outline my perspective because it's it's a good segue uh, for you to completely run over with your rebuttal to what we want to talk about next on the rundown, uh, and namely, I'm I am concerned about how it is being exploited because as as we all know, as we've as he admitted. Uh, Draymond Green knows how he's officiated. He knows what he can do with it. And he can do things to a team uh, that other players cannot, uh, because he is aware of a loophole for him in, the, in the, the game of basketball. I know nobody should be losing games over how a star is officiated because at least in theory there should be a star on the other team who's also being officiated with a similar kind of discretion but in terms of how the game should be played if we are going to have rules they should be as uniform as possible so people cannot certain classes of people cannot exploit them and that is really the only major bone i have to pick with the fact that not only is it happening but now it's explicitly blatant and not being hidden in any way, shape, or form, which, again, does not do the credibility of the league large favors. I am constantly pushing back on the notion that the the refs are changing the outcomes of the games. There may be something in place that we discussed at Infinitum on this podcast that causes it to look like that and has the same result, but I don't really think it's very intentional or entirely intentional, even if it is. My issue is they need to do something about this technical foul thing, particularly, there's a very good suggestion out there we could talk about in a second, but I know you guys want to say first.
0: Yeah, let me just go in order and then, obviously, we, we've got to get up to game three. Um, first, the NFL has been, has had high profile games decided by Refig in a much more obvious way, and the NFL is the corona of American sports entertainment. So it doesn't matter, it's not ruining the, pro- it's not ruining the product. If the NFL can outlive it, it's not a problem that's going to take down the NBA. Um, they're, they can get through brain
2: damage brain damaging. Yeah, I mean, that's thing. So I mean apples and oranges. Yeah. All right.
0: Anyway. Okay, second. The Steve Jabby thing, Steve Jabby is just an old man being brought in to entertain. He and Van Gundy had no idea what they were talking about. It wasn't that the NBA but came why in. Why do it? <laughs> because be, exactly. So here's the thing. The ABC broadcast was not that interesting as far as I can tell. The let's bring the ref in, like any sport, is never interesting or anything other than pretty cringy. So it's not that this was like a new thing that they were trying that was a disaster. It was, they brought a guy in who is not media trained, who just kind of riffed, and he said the secret thing that no one's supposed to say, except that in every sport, superstars get the call. In every sport, in baseball, you sit there for three innings and say, okay, how's he calling the strike zone? Oh, that's how he's calling it, great. In basketball, you say, oh, how the refs gonna call this one? That's a technical foul, okay, great. The technical foul is supposed to be a punitive measure, and it worked. It calmed Draymond Green down in a way that if they had what? If, if they, they had, had thrown, thrown him. Sorry, Cam, no, what are you nah. talking about yeah, it? absolutely. And down at all <laughs> after that. After the point of that game, he was not playing basketball in the same way. And second of all, the way that Draymond Green plays, if Alex, if you took what you said and replaced the name Draymond with Kevin Garnett, it would it would be perfectly apt. So it wasn't that big of a deal in the first place. And Jalen Brown kicks Draymond Green on that shot. I'm sorry. Jalen initiated the contact. Oh my
2: god, dude! No, I'm I'm sorry. I have to push back on this because Draymond Green saw that technical foul go that way, and then immediately started playing just as physical, if not more so. The play where he tackled Grant Williams occurred after that moment. Like Draymond, That that was a fine play. No, it's not. You can't just get- tackle a dude. That's ridiculous. What are you talking about? No, I, I I get that Draymond Green plays the way that he does, and I listen. I would love Draymond- for the Celtics
0: to to have played that. Way. Listen,
2: if Draymond Green gets, uh, I don't see him get injured.
3: I don't want to see a fight break out. And like yeah. honestly, I think that that leads to that kind of behavior by rewarding it. I think that there is there was a good suggestion, I forget who, um, Dan Feldman maybe? I think, yeah, from NBC Sports, who talked about the idea of just getting rid, like if it's a flagrant, you can be bounced. But if it's not a flagrant, to treat it as a common foul and move on. I think that's the easy solution.
0: All right, speaking of moving on, we, we really do have to move on. Um, and first, we got to talk about our partners at Online, the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball scores, and all the latest fighting news, including uh, way into the future, BetOnline has this early season of NFL Futures. Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and get in on the action. Bet online where the game starts. Um, okay, before we talk about game three, the Celtics pregame talked about Brittany Griner. They talked about gun control, awareness, and advocacy, and that feels pretty important. So I wanted to pause and not talk about it at the very end. Um, and everyone on this podcast, of course, supports bringing home Brittany Griner and... Uh, of course supports more gun control please um okay let's talk about game three kai you're on the hook how critical overall is this game three do you think
1: um i'm going to go out on a limb and i'm going to say the winner of game three wins the series um d- just because like the minute you take a, a two-one lead in this series um it just it, again the momentum is going to be on your side uh you know the warriors of the or the team with the home court advantage and I think the Warriors. Correct me if I'm wrong. Haven't they won like a road game, in, in, a, in a playoff series for like fourteen playoff series in a row? Some disgusting
0: like, stuff yeah, like Yeah, yeah. Some
1: disgusting number like that. Pretty much ever since Steve Kerr took over, <laughs> like that's just kind of like how it is. If you're the Celtics, you can't lose either game. You you gotta win Game Three and Game Four because I don't think they go back into San Francisco, and win another game. Like winning Game One. Was hugely important, obviously, because now home court advantage is on your side. Uh, Boston can't lose Wednesday or Friday. Yeah, you, you can't go back to two. You can't go back to the Bay down three one. Definitely can't go back down three one. But it, like if you go back two two, it's basically the same thing. You just I, I don't think I don't think the Celtics win this series if they don't win both games. They've got to win both games. Now at the beginning of the series, at, at the beginning of the series, I said Warriors in five. So, I think the Warriors are still going to win this series in five. That's just it. Uh, I, think they're the better. I think they have more experience because they know what to do in these situations. But the Celtics have proven this entire playoffs. I mean, they swept Brooklyn, they just knocked off the defending champs, and they just knocked off a Miami Heat team who made the NBA Finals two years ago. So, it's not, it's not like the Celtics aren't, haven't been able to come up with, with big wins whenever, whenever they can. But if, if Boston doesn't win both these games, I think it's a wrap. Go Golden State will win.
3: I think they can afford to, lo- to lose the second one of the, the home mm-hmm. stretch. I think they can. But they will basically have their backs against the wall in that situation. I do tend to agree with you that they, they need to work as hard as they can to win both of them. And I think if they lose the first of the two, they're screwed.
1: But, but you think they can go back to the Bay and get another one?
3: I think they can. But, again... There will be zero room for error. Like, they can't even have, they can't even have, like, say, three consecutive plays, like what caused the avalanche in this last game.
1: Right, right. And I, I don't think, like, I don't think the, like, one, if the Warriors were to get home court advantage back, whether it be game three Wednesday or game four on Friday, and go back to San Francisco 2 2, like, they're, they're, like, they're going to be playing with, I, I guess, I guess not house money, but, I mean, they'll be at home, and I, I feel like they, like they feed off that crowd, and like, I just Us I'm not sure. If have I'm, to win the next. game. I'm not sure if the Celtics could do it again. Yeah. It's, I just, I have my doubts.
0: I think it just depends on how they lose. Like, if they lose yeah. on a, a buzzer beater in Game Four, and that's why it's two-two. I think they'll be hungry and focused. But if they get punked again, I think you're right that the Warriors are the disciplined, veteran team, and the Celtics team could implode uh, because right. they're a little too young. Um, right let me, Kyle, stay with you. Uh, What adjustments should the Celtics make? It could be something big, be something on the margins, but if, if you could make this happen, what do you think the Celtics uh, should do
1: in terms of an adjustment? For me, it's as simple as ball movement. Like ball movements are always such kind of like a, um, it's such a simple thing in basketball, but like there are so many teams that just, they will be terrific on ball movement, like for like three or four possessions in a row, but then like, for like 10 possessions in a row afterward, be zap, gone. Guys trying to go one-on-one. I mean, I've seen it with the Sixers plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Like, Sixers will move the ball, but then all of a sudden, you know, James Harden or Tyrese Maxey will start going one-on-one with, with people for five straight, five, six straight possessions. I saw it with the Celtics the other, uh, in game two. Like, the ball was jumping around uh, the, at the early part of game two, and obviously it helps that Jalen Brown was knocking down really, kind of, t- some tough shots. Give Jalen Brown credit. You know, he's a bucket, but I kind of look at the Celtics and I feel like another thing that really led to the turnovers was stagnation on the offensive end, holding the ball, letting the warriors come to them and kind of force the issue. I, like that. That was another thing that just like, it kind of, I felt like the warriors brought the fight to them in game two, which is to be expected. They were down one out, but yeah, there's a kind of felt like the warriors literally just brought everything to them and the Celtics just took it. So for me, it's just like, again, for if, if, if the Celtics in game in, uh, in game three, they, they got to move the ball and they got to be able to pretty much play their game, which they have been for the majority of the playoffs. And maybe, maybe Eme Udoka thinks about going small and maybe going the small that way, because Robert Williams is clearly hurt. Uh, I don't know if you can play Daniel Tice too much in this series. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, so at that point, you might have to go to Grant Williams. All
0: right. Uh, Alex, I'll go to you. Big adjustment, little adjustment, what are the Celtics, what ought the Celtics to do?
2: Um, there's two things that the Celtics really need to do. And one of them is an actual tactical adjustment, which is that they need to make life a little bit more uncomfortable for Draymond Green. Um, I thought that he had a lot of moments in that game where he was able to take the basketball and kind of go right to the rim and get uh, finished through contact. Um, He, in general, seemed like he was playing with much more substantial pace and doing a lot more to initiate things like dribble handoffs. And he, he just generally was much more engaged. The Celtics need to be ready to match that intensity and they need to be ready to scheme a little bit for him because of how central he is to the Warriors offense. That's the big tactical adjustment. And then the big mental adjustment is the same adjustment that they've had to make over and over and over and over again this postseason, which is they need to get out of their own way and they need to just not make the kind of silly mistakes or go for home run plays as much as they do. This is the Achilles heel of the Celtics offense is that there are times where instead of getting back to a process-based, methodical-oriented offense that makes the easy pass or you know has lots of off-ball movement for layups and open threes. They start going for home run plays. Marcus Smart starts trying to thread the needle between two guys. Jason Tatum takes a pull up three way too early and shot clock. Jalen Brown goes for a finish that he doesn't have position for. It's, it's really at the end of the day that, and, and, you know, despite the big bra about the refing, I do ultimately agree the Celtics lost that game and they are more responsible for that than any ref could be Um, at the same time you got to you gotta just minimize those small mistakes. There's little things that the Celtics can do and that I'm sure they will review in film session to make sure that their offense is a little bit more process-oriented, for sure. Um, just really quickly, I didn't get a chance to chime in on this one, but um, I, I do think that the Celtics can win this series going back to Golden State 2-2. Um, My thinking being that they are a historically great road team in the playoffs and have been all season long. We won three in Miami in the last series for whatever that's worth. And I know that the Bay Golden State has a great home crowd uh, that they really feed off of and they're a super energetic team. They're definitely better than Miami. I don't want to get that twisted. But the Celtics team has proven time and time again that they have what it takes to win on the road. If they absolutely need to, I think if they lose both, they're probably finished. And I would prioritize Game Three over Game Four for sure. But um, they, they can win a series tied two-two
1: for sure. Right.
2: Uh,
1: I mean, I will give them credit for going to Miami, winning three times because the Heat they were undefeated at home going in the Eastern Conference Finals. They can't um, punish
3: you in the same way though.
1: Yeah, it, like the Heat, the, like, for me it was like the Celtics kind of had issues with a one-legged Jimmy Butler, and four of the five Heat starters were hurt. The sixth man of the year was hurt, and he still took them to seven games. So while, sure, the, like sure, it was it a was good win for the Celtics. They, I mean, again, the Heat made the NBA Finals two years ago, and they have guys on their roster who have championships. Larry has a ring. P.J. Tucker has a ring. Adebayo and Butler were on that, you know, 2020 Finals team, so I I understand, and I give the Celtics a ton of credit, but this is why I picked the Warriors in five. Just I think Golden State is just like Golden State is a completely different animal, and I think Marcus Smart even acknowledged it in Game One with his "This ain't oh, yeah. This. Yeah. like I mean, like like even even Max Struess like like Struess was hurt, and then like that's their best shooter. You know, and they couldn't play Duncan Robinson because he can't defend a telephone pole. So it's just like you—you kind of like give the Heat credit. They were the number one seed and all, and I thought what they did was impressive as hell. But they're not the Warriors. Yeah. So for, for, for me, it's like if, if it goes down, if if it goes back to the Bay, t two, it's a wrap. Okay, completely a wrap.
0: I mean, not for nothing. And we'll go back to adjustments. The Celtics are eight and three on the road in the postseason. And the Warriors are three and four, which is worse than the Heat and worse than the Bucks uh, posted on the road. So um, th- there are numbers to play too with. Much
3: from the regular season,
0: though. No, that's in the playoffs. Oh, okay.
3: Sorry. Yeah, that
0: was a playoff. No, the regular season stats. Hell no. Um, yeah. All right, Justin, uh, adjustments no, so for game three. It's, it's June. We don't care about the regular season. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, give me a game three adjustment.
3: Game three adjustment. Uh, the whole play better adjustment uh, is going to be absolutely critical on Boston's. And uh, but I do think, as I was saying earlier, you know, attacking the rim more is something that is just not being exploited at all in this series, which is really weird to me. I mean, I guess I kind of understand with how slow they have adjusted uh, previously in each round earlier to the opponent in front of them, rather than the opponent they just beat. So maybe we will see a shift in that uh, particularly after I'm sure the epic film session that's happening maybe as we speak. Um, Besides that maybe the best thing I've heard some rumbles about people talking about getting rid of two big lineups and to a certain extent I agree but if they do that then they're just going to punish them with Looney and I Mm -hmm. think that what you do maybe is you start with Rob, particularly if he's feeling good, but if he isn't feeling so great, or as soon as you have the opportunity to do so, try to punish him by going small, see how they adapt him. Then if they start having some success with Looney, then you bring back in two big lineups. Not necessarily always with Rob, but like I, I really, like this is not a Grant Williams series. This is definitely not a Daniel Tice series. So, really, you kind of need to do what you can making the matchups work better. And at least so far, it looks like the two big lineups of Al and Rob, particularly when Al, when, when well, honestly, when either of them don't have it, uh, hasn't been particularly effective. So, that's something I would explore. Not overhauling completely. I think it's way too late in the game to do nothing like that. But I do think they can stagger it a little bit more to be a little more effective.
0: Yeah, I would add depending on who you ask and I won't name names, the Celtics outside of garbage time scored between one and three baskets at the rim and game two, which is just absurd. Um, There were a few times where they really tried at the rim and somehow backing down Clay Thompson resulted in a shot off the front rim, but that, that just is inexcusable. I mean, the three point shot is just always going to be there against this Warriors team. So I don't know why they need to highlight it. It's going to be there. I think they really need to pound the rock down low and figure that out. And, an extension of that kind of counterintuitively is the Celtics can't get out and run. They can't do what the warriors do. And they got baited into that. I was so shocked that the warriors took the fight to the Celtics. I thought that they were going to, that was going to fail for them. Um, but the Celtics got completely disjointed from that. And then also tried to play warriors basketball, which they can't do. So the Celtics need to slow things down. They, they're not a transition team like that. And they, at the same time need to figure out how to get to the rim. Um, so I think it's a, it's a lot of deep discipline. It's a lot of calming the hell down, which is hard for a young team. We've talked about this, Um, but I think it's also playing Celtics basketball, not Warriors basketball, because the Warriors do something no one else does. And that's why they keep going to the finals and the Celtics don't have the personnel, the skill or the background to do what the Warriors do. So they got to cut that shit out. All right, Kai, uh, we'll get out of here in a few minutes. Give me an X factor for both teams, Um, either someone who needs to step up or someone who will in a
1: small way, turn the tide. Oh, okay. So for the Celtics, I I still always put it on Marcus Smart. Like for me, he's the X factor for like every game. Like we all know he's going to bring defensively, but Boston needs that third score. And most of the time it is smart. Like give him credit. He's been really good, but he was a big factor in game one. He was a non-factor in game two on the offensive end of the floor. And that has to change in game three. For me, it's Marcus Smart and to a lesser extent, Al Orford. Like, those are the two um, that have got to give Tatum and Brown some type of help on the offensive end because it can't just be those two.
0: Alex.
2: (laughs) hmm. When thinking about X factors for the Celtics, there's a couple of guys that come to mind but the one that I think we haven't seen as much from this series and that I'm definitely going to be looking for is Grant Williams. Um, and my thinking on that is that Rob played all right last night and much better in game one, but he is clearly hurt. Like, I think he sh- he's still going to play because it's the NBA finals and this is kind of what it's all about. But Robert Williams is clearly playing on like one leg right now and he's going to give it everything he's got but that is just a golden mismatch for the Warriors to hunt as soon as he's on the floor, if he's currently at his health. Um, So what that means is the Celtics are going to need to go small. Now they've seen some effectiveness when they've been doing that with Derek White and Marcus Smart, but Derek White and Marcus Smart can't play 48 minutes. They need one other guy. Obviously Peyton Pritchard has played as well. He's been pretty good, but they need another guy who can give them quality minutes on the defensive end. That is where Grant Williams comes in. Uh, Grant has had a quiet series so far. His offensive struggles have largely kept him off the floor in meaningful moments. Um, But as the Warriors increasingly spend time focusing in on Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford based on their defensive schemes, Grant is going to have some open looks. And I am hoping that Ime trusts him enough to put him on the floor and to have him make those shots. I think that If Grant can start to unlock his offensive game even a little bit, that opens up a ton of floor spacing for the Celtics. And he's got the size and foot speed on the perimeter to at least frustrate some of these Warriors offensive players. So he's my X factor heading into next one. Dr. Quint, round of
3: For the Warriors, I think it's going to be uh, Gary Payton II. I don't see an easy adaptation to the defense that he brought uh, for Boston, the way that they have been playing. Uh, Again, the whole play better adjustment, I think that's enough to account for most of what he's brought in in game two. Uh, For the Celtics, I'm not going with a person. Uh, I'm going with a very similar thing in that the entire team's defense is what they need to be leaning into. I think their very best chance to account for their own mistakes and to keep the game from getting out of hand as it did in game two is by leaning very hard into the defensive identity and tiring out this team being as physical as they possibly can and making life as difficult as possible for the Warriors to prevent those massive avalanches because honestly that's really if we're being honest it's you can't really call what the Warriors do an x-factor but that's how they're going to win this series if they're going to win and the best chance the Celtics have of winning this series is preventing that from happening and lucky for them their identity has always been defense yet we have been mostly discussing about offensive adjustments they can make that frankly speaking I don't even think are going to be enough if that's the only thing they do
0: yeah I mean i Put on my talk radio hat for a second and and said that the Jays need to play tougher and not in the not actually the way that we've kind of bemoaned in the past. But Rob and Smart are hurt. I they can't be the defensive anchors. They can't be the to your point the defensive motors. And that's everything for the Celtics team. So uh, independent of what Rob and Smart can offer, there there are lapses that need to be filled in. And this is the moment that the Jays need to step up. You don't need to go punch anyone in the mouth. They don't need to do anything rash or outside of their skill set, but I do think that they need to play a little tougher. I think Jalen got a little chesty and then did not back it up on defense. I think Jalen Brown was complaining to the refs again. Um, They need to physically play tougher. They need to physically use their bodies in a tougher way, but they need to mentally uh, shape up a little bit because they played really young last night in a way that is reasonable. And I will not fault them for if it goes uh, the Warriors way. But if they want to win this game, they can't play like 25- and 24-year-olds. They have to play bigger than themselves. Um, Kai, we, we're going to say thanks. We're going to cut you loose because we know you have other commitments tonight. Kai Carlin writes for Sixers Wire. Kai,
1: I think you told us, but what's your prediction for game three? Uh, I do think the Warriors win. Um, Glad think, we had you on. <laughs> I mean, Listen, I think the Warriors win game three. I think they win game four. And I think they wrap it up. In game five, I'm like, that was my series prediction before the series. I'm gonna stick with it. Um, but, like I said before, for the Celtics to have a chance, they gotta win both games. They have to win both game three and game four. And, uh, you know, if they win game three and game four, give credit to them. They got, they, they're gonna have themselves a chance, but I'm picking the Warriors for sure. All
0: right, win it for Kai. That's the motto. That's, that's the <laughs> bulleted board material is win it for Kai. Um, I like it. Alright everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch you after Game 3. A big Celtics win uh, for you Kai and um, uh, like and subscribe if
1: you haven't already. We'll catch you later. Thank you for having me on guys. Thanks again.